Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the podcast that follows the money through our beautiful game. I'm Kevin Day, your illustrious host, and the important person in this equation is Kieran Maguire, Professor of Football Finance at various universities. I'm going to maybe Liverpool's the only one I know about, but I'm guessing there's more, isn't there? It's the only one. It's the only one for me. Is it? Oh, not the only one, though. Is it, it's, is it, but just as a matter of interest, is it a, a growing area of, of study, football finance, or are you, are you ploughing a lone furrow here? I'm the only person who's doing my stuff in terms of the numbers, but Sheffield Hallam, they do something. We've got got a university now at Wembley, which has been set up, and Gary Neville's set up UA92 with the class of 92 uh, in in Manchester. They need need to let that go, don't they? (laughs) They really need to let the class of 92 thing go, really. Beckham's not interested anymore, is he? It's very good for marketing. Oh, okay. See, that's where you come in. So already I'm drifting off marketing. Now, before we get on to our major subjects and then listeners' questions, I want to start with a listeners' question because the Newcastle one we did two weeks ago is still rumbling, basically. The Man United one, we got a very, very good response. Quite terrifying for some of the Man United fans, obviously. But the the Mike Ashley one, and I, I, you and I were both spectators to several bitter Twitter ones. I still haven't learned how to mute my tweets. So there were a lot of Newcastle fans. But, and I have to say, a surprisingly vocal number of Mike Ashley, not necessarily defenders, but certainly people willing to see his point of view, which did surprise me a little bit. I mean, still a minority, but there were. But there's one question that came up, and Steve Hamilton is, is typical of the people who are asking it. It's about Ashley's relationship through the club with his company. Um, in particular... Uh, and we did touch on it, but we we got sidetracked. We we got sidetracked. I got sidetracked. There's probably a butterfly flying past me, so we didn't actually cover it properly. Um, it, it's about basically the, the advertising for Mike Ashley's retail company, which is very very visible during Newcastle United home matches. Now, put simply, so I can understand it. Essentially, if if a company, if you and I had a company, if we were doing the Price of Football podcast advertising on the Newcastle perimeter, they would charge us a lot of money for it. And I presume that HMRC would then be entitled to some of the earnings that came from us to Newcastle. So how does that work then with with Newcastle? Is that advertising free and therefore is it actually denying HMRC money? Well, Newcastle do charge uh, Sports Direct uh, money for the advertising. It's about... I think I think it's just about a seven-figure fee, um, and therefore per season, per season, just a lot of money. Um, and on the back of that, if Newcastle make profits, then they'll pay tax. Um, but at the same time, because Sports Direct is paying money to Newcastle, it reduces their profits, so it reduces their tax. So overall, it's it's a nil. It's a nil tax take as far as Mike Ashley is concerned. Uh, and okay, is, is that? I'm trying to find a way of saying it that won't get me into trouble. Is this basic, clever accounting, or is this... It, it's, it's, fa- it's fairly standard business practice. I mean, there, there's lots of rocks to throw at Mike Ashley, but I don't think uh, one in respect of tax is one which is appropriate. OK, well, I suspect Newcastle is a club we'll be returning to again and again. Um, and unfortunately, at the moment, the Champions League isn't something they're going to be returning to in any time. But there are changes afoot to the Champions League. Now, I know a lot of our listeners are going to be going, hang on a second, we, we're not interested in Champions League, our club's not in the Champions League. But you've indicated that th- these will have trickle-down effects, I believe, for, for all of 
of football. So what what are the changes that are happening in the Champions League and how will they affect the rest of us normal football fans? Well, the first thing that's going to happen is that there's going to be a, a third UEFA competition. So the number of teams taking play, taking part in, in European competition is going to go up to 96. This is good news for you and I, isn't it? <laughs> oh, we, we'd, we'd love to be up against uh, you know, Bulgaria's third best team on, on a Thursday night. I would. I, I, don't, I generally don't understand those football fans who say, what's terrible? We don't want to get in the Europa League playing Thursday, Sunday. I, what, what is there to live for if you're a Palace fan other than getting into the Europa League? Well, again... If there's an opportunity to go overseas to see my team play, I'd, I'd be there like a shot. Of course. Um, I, I speak the to... The difference between you and I being you can afford it, I'd have to borrow the money to do it. But. <laughs> um, I, I speak to people at Burnley, um, and they said it was wonderful to get into the Europa League last season, but it completely disrupted their preparation because Sean Dyche will set well, a team out at the weekend, yeah. get them in on a Monday, and it's drills, drills, drills for the following Saturday. Now, if you're playing in Greece on a Thursday night, you, you're practising for that game for a couple of days. You travel out on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. You play the match on the Thursday night. You get back on the Friday morning. You can't train on the Friday because you just travelled. And you've only got one day's preparation for the weekend, in effect. The implications for a side such as Burnley, who are extremely well organised and extremely well drilled, is that they suffered in the Premier League and... At the start of last season, they 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 were struggling. Mm. As soon as they got knocked out, their results changed. So, what you're going to have to do, uh, and that goes for your team or mine, is that we're going to have to need to have bigger squads to be able to cope with things of that nature. Well, this this illustrates that I'm all about the romance, and you're all about the practicalities. I know that you're a Brighton fan. There's very little romance in your life. That's why you concentrate on what you concentrate on. But but there are other than maybe finishing five or six places lower in the Premier League than you may have expected to. There's no financial downside to being in Europe, though, is there, for a club like Burnley or Palace or Brighton? Well, I mean, the downside is, is that you get an extra £2 million per place in the Premier League. Yes, so the, your, so, yeah, well, I understand so, that. But... So you, you'll probably make up in your Europa 2 or whatever, or whatever they're going to... I can't remember what they're going to call this crazy competition. You'll make up for that what, what you will lose in Premier League payments. Right. It's, if it increases the chances of relegation, that becomes a bit more squeaky bum towards April and May. But you know, we, we're both used to our sides not exactly uh, yeah. having fantastic seasons yeah. and, and having you know, you know, an, an element of survival. So I think there are, so that is, that's fine. What we've got happening in, 19, in 2021, that's actually quite exciting. The issue is three or four years down the line when they're actually proposing the next change. And this is where potentially it could turn unpleasant for a lot of clubs. Um, One of the proposals is, as far as the Champions League is concerned, as you know, presently, there are eight eight groups of four teams. Mm. One of the proposals is to change that to four groups of eight teams. Right. And then all of a sudden you've got 14 group games for Europe. Right. Now, if you let, let's just do the maths. You've got 38 Premier League you, games. You, you'll have to do that. You've got 14 <laughs> group games. Right, I You've see. got we, potentially we, another seven getting to the finals. You're up to 59 games. Right. FA Cup. Right. Carabao Cup. You're talking 70 games a season. Yeah. Plus the players going on internationals. Plus pre-season tour. You're, you're potentially looking at players who could be expected to play up to 80 games. 
So even if UEFA, for example, allowed bigger squads, say 32-man squads, that's upping your wage bill, so that doesn't help you financially anyway, does it? Then Well, it's, it's, it's upping your wage bill, but there's not enough room in the calendar. You, you right. can't squeeze that number of games in. So therefore, something's got to give. Okay. Now, one of the proposals that I've heard about is that the Carabao Cup would therefore just be kicked into touch. It, it would it would be cancelled. As a Premier League club that puts our reserve team out, yeah. we don't get overexcited about it. But a few weeks ago, Colchester played Spurs. They played us beforehand. They they knocked us out in the in the first round. So so they've knocked out two Premier yeah. League clubs. Can you imagine the impact that's going to have on Colchester's finances? Yeah. Huge implications. Rochdale went to Old Trafford. 75,000 people there. Rochdale bit made a million pounds. Now, Rochdale normally make four million pounds a year. They yeah. made a million pounds from that one match. Uh, so, remind me, because this, again, is something I know has changed since I was a child, but what's the distribution of money, then, in a cup tie for the away team? Because it used to be... They used to get a third, did they? Is that, was that right? Or it's... It, it's, it's now 45% to each team after deducting expenses, and 10% goes into a central pool. Is this the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup? Carabao Cup and the FA Cup. So it's actually very, very generous. Oh, well, that's interesting, because uh, for some reason I was under the illusion that it was, you know, the, the proverbial away game at Old Trafford was less of an attractive... No, no Oh, right, it, it, so that's it, a it, big it, blow for... So, so the small clubs are going to suffer. And, and the, these clubs rely, you know, every four or five years, they, they get a decent draw against a Premier League club, the crowds might not be huge, but they still could be significantly more than they're anticipated. There's also the chance that it'll be chosen for broadcast, so therefore they'd get more money from that as well. So it's the small clubs that potentially are going to suffer because the Carabao Cup, as we know, we're not, we're not particularly interested in it. And, and, and that's a shame, actually, because what, what else are we going to win? Well, well we're, we're interested in it until such time as we get knocked out and it becomes a Mickey Mouse. But this is, see, this is why we need you telling football fans about this because it wouldn't occur to me that a change in the European competition would have a knock-on effect for Colchester yeah for example so that but also a quite significant knock-on effect as you say possibly club saving amount of if a club like Bury had got an away game at Man United that could have raised them enough money to stay in business exactly now oh, okay there's, there's a couple of other things if you if you're going to have 14 group games in the Champions League UEFA and the big clubs, and it's the big clubs that are pushing this, ideally they would like some of those matches to take place at weekends because they know mm. that when football tourists come across from other cities, they spend money. You know, they're prepared to pay premium prices for tickets. They're more likely to spend more money on merchandise. The local hoteliers, every, 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 there's lots of winners from from football tourism when, when, when clubs travel. And, pe- and if people are going to go to a match at the weekend instead of on a Tuesday or Wednesday, they're more likely to fly across on the Friday, yeah, stay so, to the Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there's lots of benefits. You can't do that with a 20-team Premier League. So therefore, the next potential issue is, will there be pressure to reduce the number of teams in the Premier League from 20 to 18? Because this would allow all of these extra fixtures to be fitted into the calendar. Right. Now, that affects Brighton and that affects um, Palace yeah, and that affects yeah. Bournemouth and that affects yeah, Watford. Yeah. So not only do we... Well, you're, you're saying that our chances of getting into Europe are slightly improved, but also our chances of being in the Premier League to get into Europe are also slightly lessened. So, again, 
it, it's the big clubs that are benefiting from any change. Because that, I think that's what most people would argue about the, the Champions League. It's always the big clubs that benefit from change. Yeah. There's never a trickle-down effect. There's never a, 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 a benefit for, for the rest of us, no matter how they try and colour it. You know, they say, well, we're including more Eastern European teams, blah blah the world's getting bigger. We're including... It's never that's the case. So in, is your instinct, because it's the one thing that's been probably since the 90s, there's always been somebody predicting that Europe will eventually take precedence over the Premier League, that the biggest clubs in Britain, those traditional top six, whether that includes Leicester from now on, we don't know, but the traditional top six will have to, in future, become part of a breakaway European league. That's, that's, we've been talking about, in the same way that we, we talk about Celtic and Rangers will inevitably one day have to play in England, there's always people who say, inevitably, the, the big four, for want of a better word, will have to play in Europe. Forget the Premier. League. Is, is that your well? This is sort of, this is a compromise, isn't it? It's it's an expanded European game with a slightly smaller domestic game, which allows it allows Liverpool to play Manchester United and to play City. And, you know, because if if you talk to the fans of these big clubs, actually, just like your biggest fixture in the season is against Brighton, and mm. my biggest fixture of the season is against Palace. Mm. It's the same for Liverpool and United. It's yeah. the same. It's yeah. the same for Chelsea and Spurs. It's the same for West Ham and Spurs, and so on. So, I think the clubs realise that they they don't want to throw everything away because the the owners are saying, we presently are getting you know, twenty five home games a season. If we could get that up to around about thirty, that's you know, another sixty thousand people turning up an extra five or six times a year. How can we make the most money out of that? Well, you do that in the Champions League because it's really good for, for viewing figures rather than Manchester United against Bournemouth doesn't generate a lot of interest. Manchester United against Bayern and Barcelona, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's going to generate more interest. The other issue that potentially is going to arise is that if we have these four groups of eight, the top four clubs will qualify for the knockout rounds. Yeah, Teams five and six will effectively do nothing. And the bottom two will get relegated to the Europa League. So you've actually got 24 teams guaranteed a place in next year's Champions League from simply being in the top six of each of these divisions. And the aim of this is to stop another Leicester City because you'll make so much money from being in the Champions League. You'll be able to pay the wages, which will be significantly more than other clubs in the Premier League, that you can effectively say that very, very few clubs will get the opportunity to come up. Now, I, I need to take you up on that, because the, the, that being an effect is very different to that being the aim. So another Leicester City not happening could be an effect of what's happening. But you're saying that this is the aim of this change, is to prevent a team outside the traditional big four it it's not the stated aim right oh but, okay we need to, i think we need to make that yeah, it, yeah clear. The, the, the um what what the clubs will say i don't, I don't but the, uh, our lawyer mate listens to it so for his benefit let's make that clear for him that this is this is you thinking this yeah. so therefore it's true but so so as as the big clubs will earn a lot more money from from the the top competition and Therefore, it will give them such a financial advantage. It, it, it will be very, very difficult. How are you actually going to qualify for the Champions League the following season? It's from being in the Champions League the previous season. season yeah. So the, the emphasis is that qualification will be based on European performance more than domestic performance. But 
to me, making making the groups bigger makes no sense because the economics of the group stage of the championship, you never see a full stadium in the group stage of the championship. The group stage seems to exist purely as a way of passing the time before the big clubs have to knock each other out, essentially. So how many times are stadiums selling out? I mean, because Man City doesn't sell out. You, you, even in the Europa League group stages with Arsenal, where they're half-empty stadiums, there's no, there's no fan or supporter interest in the group stages, is there? That, I, th- I think from a hardcore fans' perspective, there probably isn't. But if those matches are taking place at weekends, uh, then you know that right. you can ship in the fans yes, who yes. don't get to see the club very often. Yeah. It's also great for TV audiences. Because you know, we, we, as, we as fans that go to the match, we don't actually count very much. You know, our job is to be monetized. It's a horrible word. It's to be exploited. Yeah. It's to make some noise for the, for the television audience. And that's that's what's going to happen. So Carabao Cup, I think that would struggle to survive in an expanded competition. Premier League going to 18 clubs. Or, now, you've got to have a two-thirds majority to get any new rules through. So, yeah. so the, 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 the smaller clubs are going to fight tooth and nail against that. But, but then you might have the, well, if that's your attitude, we will go and form our own cha- uh, uh, breakaway league. So it's, it's, it's a wait and see. Yeah, we, we all hope it doesn't take place and I don't think it's good for football as a whole it's it's the Americanization it's the franchisation of of European football see that that is before we move on that is always the threat because for all we joke about Scottish football and Spanish football to an extent dominated by two clubs if you take you know United Liverpool Man City Chelsea out of the the Premier League Bournemouth Watford every second week Palace Leicester every second week aren't fixtures that are going to get your tourists in or your so it is that's a big threat for them to have up their sleeve isn't it that's right well let's let's our producer's not here this week so he's decided to get to get the two contentious subjects out of the way while he's not here really because while we're talking about europe brexit and i'm not going to uh make any secret of the fact that i'm a one of those remaining Ramona's, you know, Southern Bubble, etc. I fully own up. I'm touching the bubble as we speak. It's, uh, it's a bubble of two at the moment, I'm guessing. Uh, we haven't spoken about Brexit. It would be bad enough to find out you're, you're a Brighton fan. If you're also a Brexiteer, that would be a big rift in our relationship. Well, I've got a degree in economics. I think that answers fair, your question. Fair enough. That's a great answer. Um, Brexit's coming, whatever we think. And right from the start, there were people who said, well, Brexit will affect football. But only in kind of we talk about interest rates and exchange rates and et cetera, et cetera. And, and again, I'm like a lot of people, uh, until something threatens football, you know, I've got different reasons for, for not wanting Brexit to happen. Football was never one of them, to be perfectly honest. But, of course, it is going to have an effect. Um, and you're going to tell us what that effect is. Well, I think, I think we need to look at the effect on, on different, different people involved with the game. Right. So, so clubs, so for example. Let's 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 start it off with, with the point of view of the clubs. At present, with freedom of movement within the European Union, anybody can come to England and join a football club, and that includes sixteen and seventeen-year-olds who are presently banned from moving from country to country under FIFA's global rules. It's to, it's to stop the harvesting of, of, course, of young kids, of course, yes, and that, that's very laudable. Yes. Now, if uh, especially if a no-deal Brexit takes place, that rule will will start to apply. So the 16- and 17-year-old recruitment of players will no longer be uh, feasible with, within the EU. So the likes of Cesc Fabregas 
coming to Arsenal many, many years ago from Barcelona at the age of 16. That wouldn't be allowed to happen. Right. Now... Not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad yeah. thing. And also, I think I've heard Steve Parrish say that, well, could the rules actually be changed the other way, that kids from all countries at 16 and 17, you know, perhaps we could go and change the rule to make everything more accessible. So I'm not saying it's a good or a bad thing. It's, it's a thing. It's painful that Steve Parrish is such a Brexiteer and one of our massive financial owners as well. But there you go. So that's for a different pod. Um, the other... The next thing we'd have to think about from the point of view of the clubs is are the Home Office, are the Premier League, are the FA going to put a quota on the number of non-English players? Because at present, you, it's very difficult to, to have something of that nature because of freedom of movement within the EU. Now, what, what are the implications for this? If you're an English footballer, it's actually very good news because you're going to become more valuable which means that your agent is going to negotiate a much better pay packet because there's there's fewer good English players. Uh, to pause here to, to tell all those people that have asked us about agents and the money that agents take out of the game, that is going to be a, a special pod in a two or three weeks' time. Yep. Uh, um, so I think that, that will be one implication. Um, and then I think the biggest <clears throat> the biggest issue will be in the form of transfers themselves. If you are recruiting a player presently from outside of the EU, it is based on a points-based system. Mm -hmm. Now, points-based system is one of the things that the government's going to say it's going to introduce in terms of migration. Presumably, that points-based system would then apply to EU players. And that's linked to the number of caps they've had in the last 12 months and also your FIFA ranking. So if you're, if you're from a, a, a country which is FIFA ranked 1 to 10, you've got to pay in 30% of the matches for your country. If, uh, if it's 31 to 50, you've got to play in at least 75% and so on. Mm. That would mean that the likes of David De Gea going to Manchester United wouldn't have been possible at the time. And if, 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 if I look at, at my team, you know, we, we've got a lot of European players um, who wouldn't qualify under the rules, and I suspect the same would apply to Palace as well, and, and clubs around at, at that stature. Mm. The big clubs, if you're Manchester United, who are you recruiting? You're recruiting Paul Pogba, you're recruiting yeah. Ibrahimovic, you're, you're recruiting Lukaku, you're recruiting players who are already within that threshold. So it's not going to impact upon the ability of the bigger clubs to recruit, I think the medium and smaller size clubs within the Premier League, it's going to make their jobs much more difficult to recruit from the EU unless they're established internationals. It's, it's, well, two things. It, it's already becoming, this is pod four, it's becoming such a theme that it could almost be the catchphrase. It, whatever we're talking about is not going to affect the top four. It's going to affect the, the clubs who don't bring that sort of money in. So that's disheartening to an extent but in the interests of, of balance there will be people here who support Brexit who are listening to what you say about foreign players etc and saying well that's a good thing because it means we have to look and develop our own homegrown talent because that's what that's what it will force us to do won't it yes and that 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 is that is a valid point but clubs already recruit homegrown talent there's, there's not going to be more players available um, I, uh, coming through academies. Now, you could argue that there's going to be greater opportunities for those players, and, and I think that is true. 
Um, and if it's going to affect all clubs equally, then nobody's, there's going to be no winners or losers. But I think the, yeah, the issue that I've, I mentioned, because it's going to skew the the value of players who are already existing internationals, right. it's who's going to be paying for those players and who can who can afford to pay their wage demands and also the wage demands of the better right. English players. It's going to force the balance across to the larger clubs. And, and that's the law of the jungle. Yeah, yeah. that is sort of... But to, to finish, though, because we need to move on to some questions from uh, listeners, there are many non-EU clubs in, in UEFA, for example, so it won't, it won't, uh, Brexit won't affect our relationship with UEFA, apart from, the obviously, the things you've been telling us about, will it? No, no. So if they are, if they're Russian, Belarusian, Ukrainian, Swiss, etc., yeah. then then the same same rules apply. Right. I, I think right, okay. think in terms of Swiss, they're they're EEA, and I think they we probably do. Right. They probably do already get get the benefits of being uh, EU citizens uh, in that regard. But I say I'm, I'm, that's that's not really. But my I, I'm, I'm I'm guessing in all the negotiations that have been taking place about Brexit for however long it is now that football probably wasn't one of the things that they were talking about. Uh, at any level, were they? It's, it's just a byproduct. Well, it's just well, I know. Oh, yeah, collateral uh, damage. J- Jacob Rees-Mogg is he is he Homestale fanatic? I haven't, and I think there would be consequences if if I were to see Jacob Rees-Mogg on the Homestale. To be perfectly honest, but again, because there are a lot of industries, a lot of businesses who will become collateral damage because they haven't been specifically discussed in Brexit negotiations. Yep. Will they? No one's really thought through the the ramifications for football. And on a, on a daily basis, because we won't know what they will be until they until it actually happens. Yeah. And, and there's one other potential issue, and that's in terms of um, whether overseas players will be allowed to play football here in England. Because if you have a criminal record, under present rules, freedom of movement, you're allowed to come to the UK, unless there's, there's a definitive reason right. why you can't. If you take a look at Lionel Messi, Jose Mourinho... Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, they have all had issues in terms of tax uh, in Spain and Italy and so on. Very well put. Which have caused them to be fined, to be uh, to be to be chastised, to be, be embargoed in some form. Now, potentially, the Home Office could therefore say, "You are an undesirable. We're not going to allow you to come and play football in England in a Champions League game because you've got an outstanding." issue in terms of oh they tax. wouldn't allow them to come to play in a game not not just come to the club no, as, on a no, transfer they, oh they, they could they could in theory reject them and you know that's i'm, I'm sure there's ways around that but for, at present yeah, for the, it, big, for the it, big clubs it, yeah as we as you've already said well so will that affect foreign ownership then a, a change in in EU rules would it no no because uh, because these these pri- private companies can be owned by anybody in right. the world as we are seeing in the Champions League um, there, there's no restrictions uh, in in terms of of the ability to purchase clubs All right, well I, I want to move on I mean because again the Champions League and Brexit we could be here pod after pod after pod uh, and it already feels like Groundhog Day every week anyway doesn't it for Brexit but I want to ask a couple of questions and the first one is by way of a sorbet if you like it's by way of refreshing the palate before we get into the, the second one, which is a, a serious one. And I do want to thank everybody. We, we do read all your questions, and we will try and incorporate most of them. There, a couple of them will be um, actual whole episodes of the pod. We've, but we, all of them, and, and Kieran will, will answer them as well. 
uh, via Twitter and via email, if we, even if we don't get around to talking about them on the pod. But the two this week, the first one I really like this. This is from uh, Hanu, who describes himself as an aficionado of both football finance and the Price of Football podcast. He's from India. Uh, <laughs> and this is a brilliant accountant's question. This is, I, I, he wants to ask Kieran, that's you, uh, what's the best and worst looking and best designed annual report you've read? Which it just made me chuckle so much that question when I read that. Right. Well, the best one, and I and, I and do, you've got an answer, haven't you? Oh, I, I, I've got I've got the equivalent of the Panini collection of of, of football accounts. That's very funny. The best one by far is Juventus. Hundred okay. hundred and forty pages of football <laughs> finance porn, as far as I'm concerned. They've got every number I could possibly look for, but they've also got, in terms of a breakdown, stuff which you look at and you think that 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 looks just completely nuts. So if you take the the sale of Paul Pogba, um, Juventus say, what well, we've received from Manchester United. Uh, yeah, the fee, the agreed fee is ninety six point five million, and everybody euros. So everybody knew that was around about the fee. But then, if you go into the small print, yeah, you know, and I'm sort of rummaging around this, mm. sort of uh, you know, getting getting giddy with excitement, <laughs> looking at some of these numbers. It gives all the agents' fees, oh. and the agents is that fee, unusual? Oh yeah, nobody else does it. Oh right, no, oh. not on a player by player basis. Oh okay. So the agents' fee for Juventus, who wanted to sell. Manchester United, who wanted to buy, and Paul Pogba, who wanted to go to Manchester. Mm. So it's not exactly a tough deal. The agent's fee, twenty-six point one million euros. No, that's that's twenty-five percent, pretty much. Yeah. It's just wow. So your eyebrows have now just gone into. Orbit. They they really have. I mean, I was expecting it to be high the way you sold it, but not that. And and so. Again, again, this is an issue. It's a question that comes up again and again when I, I speak to people in pubs about football. Does it break down which of the clubs played how much? Of, well, of that's, that, that's of nearly that? all. That's nearly all coming from Juventus itself, because they, that, that's. But they that's, were selling him. They were selling him. The agent was acting on behalf of them in terms of the sale. Right, and was he? Was there a separate agent for Pogba involved and a separate agent for Man? No, no, it's all the same guy. All the same, um, so the yeah, same guy's representing. Yeah, he, well, I don't know his his relationship with Manchester United. Would it be legal for him to be paid by all three parties in a in a? I th- I think we need to get an agent in to ask that question and let's let's contact an agent or two and we'll, we'll, we'll save that one for a couple of weeks. Well, that's I mean that's very good teasing on your part. You're already becoming a professional broadcaster because I know for a fact that you're working on a, a couple of agents and and. Obviously, it's not an easy sell for them to come in and, and talk about. We might have to decode the voice and, and not give the name, but we, as, as you say, we need to talk because it is the question that comes up again and again. And I've been amazed by how many people have, have announced themselves to me in the street. And not amazed, but pleasantly surprised by how many people are telling me they're listening. But it's it's always, apart from their individual club, that's always the question they want to know is agents and how much agents get. And obviously for Palace fans, it was a big issue because Simon Jordan refused to pay Tim Cahill's yep. agent fee. And arguably, Tim Cahill might have been the player that kept us up in that particular season. So for all the Palace fans that were saying that's an honourable thing to do, there were many Palace fans who were saying, well, if it had kept us up, it would have been 150 grand. It would have, you know, so... I, it's it's definitely a question for a whole pod, and it's uh, one of the questions we've been asked a lot. Speaking about clubs, this is um, uh, 
This is a question from Dr Gandalf QC. That sounds like an afternoon TV programme, it, doesn't it? It does. There are, there are a couple of things in that name that I would question. Either the Gandalf or the QC, is, or, or the Doctor, I don't know, but it could well be all three. But, um, Dr Gandalf QC, this is another question that came, came up or comes up again and again. Uh, and thank you, Hanu, by the way, for your question. It, um, not all the questions need to be deep and meaningful. We, we will entertain questions like Hanu, which are just... Basically, it was was meant to be a joke question and turned into you telling us that amazing thing about Pogba. So that's how the world of football finance works. But um, Dr. Gandalf QC is a Brentford fan. Uh, and I think we know the club he's talking about here because of the location of where he, his club is. Can you explain how an EFL club, uh, he says, we know who we're talking about here. I think he means QPR. I guess he it. does. Yeah, I, yep. so. I was thinking about that lawyer that I know listens to the podcast, but I'll let him worry about these things. Um, how can QPR be given a forty-two million pound penalty, but end up only paying nine million pound of it? Essentially, and could you? It basically says, what's the point of some clubs towing the line when the EFL always bottles a punishment? Now, again, for Palace fans, Steve Parrish seems to be one of those owners who's always talking about financial fair play rules and how. Yeah, we pretty much seem to be one of the few clubs that seem to abide by them, or he's using that as an excuse for not splashing the cash. But could you briefly give us some context on this QPR situation and then answer Dr Gandalf's question? Right. In, uh, I think it was 2014, uh, Queen's Park Rangers were promoted to the Premier League. However, that season, for every £100 of money that they earned, and remember, they were also receiving parachute payments that season... Yeah. They spent £195 on wages. So they, they just blew a hole all the way through financial fair play. They had a £75 million wage bill in a division where the average is 21. So what are the financial fair play rules on the ratio of well, finance the, to wages? They, what the, the what rule, would have been legal? The rule is that you're not allowed to lose more than £39 million over three years. Now, Oh, wow. Well, okay. So, so, so they're, they're already going to... So it looks like they're going to blow up a whole huge hole in that and initially it looks like they were, they were going to have a huge fine as a result of that but what queen's park rangers did was the the owners of the club they said um we've lent you a load of money we don't want it back and uh, therefore what qpr said oh that's great we're going to add it to match day sales and tickets and pie sales and so on and of course all of a sudden you've just reduced your losses by 60 million and the EFL said, well, we're not very happy about that. And then it took four years of legal wrangling before a final decision was made. And, and somebody somebody actually leaked this to me. Uh, and I was going, this, this ruling look, looks crazy. So the, the reason why Dr. Dan Gandalf QC is saying, well, it's, it's the, the EFL fine was it was announced. The headline was £42 million of which three million pounds was legal fees. So that was that was the EFL's legal fees. Heaven knows how much QPR's was. If if QPR had just accepted the fine initially, they wouldn't have had to go and pay all those legal fees. So you would knock I'm, that off. I'm I'm guessing though that if you are billionaire club owners, you can probably afford legal fees more than the EFL can, can you? So you can Oh they you they can spin it out then, yeah, can't you? They 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 used uh, yeah prevaric you know they, they they used every delaying tactic which is perfectly it's, which is yeah. perfectly lawful yeah. as, as we both know um and and then i think the big issue was that it was announced as 42 million but over half of that was 
the the owners still had a load of loans, which the club could never afford to repay. And the EFL said, you've got to convert those into shares. And that's that's part of your penalty. Now, for people that aren't familiar, let, let, let me sort of put it to you this way. If you've if you've got a company which is worth ten thousand pounds and it's got a hundred shares, mm. how much is each share worth? It's ten thousand divided by one hundred. Mm. So each share is worth a hundred pounds. If you then go and double the number of shares, which effectively what happened with QPR, can you see the value of QPR doesn't change because all you're doing you've got one piece of paper and you convert it into another piece of paper. So you've got no more money. You've just got different names for pieces of paper. Right. You've now got £10,000, 200 shares. Each share is worth half as much as before. So the club hasn't suffered. But the EFL said, oh, this is £24 million worth of penalty. And then the final piece of the equation was they got a £17 million fine to be paid over 10 years. Now, £17 million over 10 years isn't the same as £17 million being paid today. No. Because if you, so, if you, so therefore, if you put in the normal interest rate charged by a bank, that actually works out as a £9.5 million fine. How much did QPR get from being promoted to the Premier League in broadcasting and parachute payments? £170 million quid. It almost would imply yeah. that it's worth the gamble of sticking up two fingers to financial fair play, getting promoted and worrying about it later. So we're going to be talking more about financial fair play next week, yep. um, which is why we should draw a line here, because I think it's going to take me a week to digest what you just told me, to be perfectly honest, because it's... Um, I know there's a lot of numbers flying about. There. Yeah, but, and I am quite intelligent, but I'm just trying to keep up with that was, was difficult. But one thing that I wondered when QPR did get promoted... Once they go into the Premier League, can they then avoid paying that fine to the champ to the EFL until such time as they are back? So, if, for example, QPR was still in the Premier League, would the EFL have to wait for them to get relegated again before they can get that? At, at the at the time when they were promoted, that was the situation. Right now, I think since then the Premier League and, and the EFL have come to a sort of gentleman's agreement that if you have done wrong in the EFL, yeah. you then have to. Um, pay the consequences in the Premier League. And if you take a look at the fines, but I think Leicester have paid a fine. It's about five or six million. But hey, you know, two years later, they won the Premier League. You know, and, 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 and it was one of the greatest days in, you know, one of the greatest seasons in football yeah, history. And, and they had owners for which that was pretty much small change down the back of the sofa as well. Exactly. It's, it's, oh, it's, it's a shame because, once again, it's, an, it's just an invitation to cynicism, isn't it, really? You, when you think, uh, well, as an antidote to that, we, we, time's against us. We'll be back uh, next week, and thank you all for listening. Um, I've got no idea how I'm reading this out, but the producer asked me to... Uh, this is a big shout-out for Becky Liddell. Hello, Becky, who apparently cooked Kieran a wonderful meal last night. Yeah, she did. She, yeah, and, Becky's, uh, uh, Becky's my uh, stepson's partner and uh, she looks after me very well oh okay well she, Becky listens to the show with her partner Scott so Scott I'm sorry if I've just broken some news to you that you, you didn't but it, it was Kieran that Becky was with last night it was nothing to worry about but um hello to you both <laughs> 
I'm really enjoying doing this pod. Um, This has been an adapted production recorded at Soho Radio Studios. Thank you for your feedback and reviews. If you could give us more reviews at iTunes, that would be great, because apparently it helps us with the algorithms and keeps us up in the Apple charts, in which we're doing all right so far. Thank you. Um, Kieran and I don't know how to do all this stuff, basically. Well beyond us. He's numbers, I'm words. Um, So if you could put more eye-raising stuff, (laughs) that's a little joke about my eyebrows on iTunes, that'd be great. Um, Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows, and this is one we think you're going to love. This is Creepy, a collection of the most famous and disturbing stories and urban legends from the deepest, darkest corners of the web. Hosted by creator John Grills and a cast of creepy narrators. New stories added every Sunday. Listener discretion is advised. Listen free on your favorite podcatcher or find us at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts. ACAST is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via ACAST or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week.